You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. As you guys know, I've been out of town for a week or almost two weeks. We did an Emory tour and also went to visit my dad uh, back in South Carolina. And I just got back from there. And I want to thank everybody who helped us build the Emory, the new bus. It's been a really fun project. We framed it all the way out. And I'll get some pictures and stuff up to show everybody. But thank you to everybody who supported that. Um, we're very, very happy and very lucky to have a, a, a fan base like we like we do. So thank you. The next thing that Emory's doing, in case anybody's interested, is we have a book that Aaron Lunsford wrote about our band. Uh, it's called Emory. I don't know what it's called, actually, but go to emorybook.com and you'll see it there. And uh, we also just did an episode of the Labeled podcast for Tooth and Nail that's about Emory and how we came out of South Carolina in 2001. And, you know, we grew up rednecks and nowhere near a red light and never gone to a rock concert or anything like that and there's some tape on there from some of our parents talking and you kind of can get a feel for for where rednecks like us came from and then eventually made it to the west coast and in a band and got signed and and that kind of stuff but it's really just about our origin uh and then the lunsford book itself is really more about what how our band works what are the dynamics what is each person in the band like and what is their role and stuff like that aaron is kind of the expert on emory so if you're interested in emory and i know a lot of you guys are then check go to emorybook.com and check that out and listen to the labeled podcast this week and if you're not interested in emory well Ignore everything I just said because uh, it will be irrelevant to you. So the episode I have today is an episode where I was a guest on a podcast called the Vox Podcast. And there's a guy named Mike and Andy who do this show, and I think it's a great show. And as you know, I typically avoid or don't do much in religious stuff or Christianity on the Break It Down podcast. And that's because I get a big dose of that on the Bad Christian podcast, and I like to do other things on this show. But... Me being a guest on this show seemed to be pretty interesting to me and a lot of people, so I thought you guys would uh, be interested in hearing me talk solo with them on this topic. But again, if that ain't your thing, skip the whole episode, and I'll be back next week. I've got some really good guests coming up, and things are going really well. Thank you to everybody that supports the Patreon page. Go to my website if you're looking for that. Uh, having a great time doing all this, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Vox Podcast. And if you do, go check out their show and subscribe to it, and I think you you might enjoy it too. All right. Break it down, Dada. Break it down, oh, break it down. 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 Let's make harder. Yeah! Mike has had enough of his fanboy kind of fantasies come true in the Vox podcast. This one's for Andy. <laughs> uh, we're sitting today with Matt Carter, um, host, celebrity, mastermind, uh, mastermind of uh, Bad Christian Media, and now including publishing, podcasting, YouTubing, anything I'm missing? 
I mean, I, I don't keep track either. I just do, have I a like bunch it. of stuff going, and I'm just waiting till some of it will fail, so the you one, don't have to do it anymore. Well, the, one, the word I want to use is empire. Is that is that empire, a word you're comfortable yeah. with? Well, you know, you could just think of me as a uh, entertainment mogul, maybe. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and so, so Andy got me hooked into the Bad Christian podcast right when we were starting to think about our own. Andy, what was your first exposure? Uh, to Matt and the crew, um, just for the people that don't know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, a friend of mine um, was like, hey, have you heard that podcast that the guys from Emory do? And I was like, no. And then he, he briefly explained it. And I got... thought Emory was a college <laughs> until you corrected. Yeah, more more than that. And um, and yeah, so I, I jumped in, I think, like early, like like episode, like in the 40s or when did, something Matt, like that. When did you so start? Like, How many years ago was over this? Two years ago. Well, it was in a February. Uh, it must have been 2014. That you yeah. guys started? Yeah. 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 Oh, my Podcast, goodness. Podcast, I believe. What, yeah. what was it? We're that, almost episode 300 now, which is cool. What? Well, congratulations. What, what was it that started this? I mean, it, it seems like over the last year... Christian podcast, the Christian podcast space has exploded. It seems like you guys were kind of early into that, into that I space. So. Yeah. What What was it? Well, that, Christian uh, podcasts have existed as sermon replays and stuff. Exactly. But, you know, right. As far as original content, yeah, I think so. Um, so we were doing the real shortest way I can tell you is I've been in a band that does this screamy punk emo stuff where you put out <laughs> twelve songs every two years, and, and it's a very very focused thing, and so had a decent amount of notoriety and people know who I am, but I just always felt like they don't know me at all. Like I'm known right. by the, I mean, this whole personality. It's been frustrating to be known about without being known. I don't like that. I feel like it's, you know, my biggest frustration in the world is inability to communicate or to be misunderstood. It, it just drives me crazy hmm. um, to a fault, but I just felt like I don't, I'm uncomfortable with so many people knowing me, but not knowing anything about me. So, you, you know, and that, that's just to speak about me, Toby and Joey differently. But we thought we had all these thoughts and all these experiences we wanted to share. You can't share them all through your albums of a narrow right. genre right. Um, or interviews never go good. Whenever we do press, it sucks so bad. <laughs> Journalists at the level of people that interview us are horrible almost entirely. <laughs> I've never done a good interview. Much like Christian journalists. Yes, you're right. I mean, you know, it's it's okay. Like it's not like Rolling Stones interviewing us. Maybe we could have said something good, but you know, when you get a bad interview, you're just not saying anything of substance. You just you don't feel safe. It just doesn't work anyway. Yeah. Um, I just thought the set of experiences that we'd had coming up through Christianity and the Christian music industry and the punk scene and just being around the the regular rock and roll scene for years is just too interesting not to share mm. and we just didn't have a good way to share the thoughts and reflections and stuff that we had so we started trying to blog about it and we just said well let's write stuff down that'll be kind of you know controversial but true i mean we're just trying right. to say stuff that's real because it's so obvious it was obvious vacuum that nobody's telling the truth or being real everything's manufactured personas on online and almost everywhere so we thought maybe we'll just write our ideas down but we're not good at writing and i hate writing i've always hated <laughs> it i've always hated school and writing and all those things so you know we struggled through it but immediately just from writing kind of honest poorly written shit, don't, i don't know i can't say shit, sorry um <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. From from writing, just from writing some thoughts and being honest, it was people and being able to share it with our Emory fans. It took off immediately, so we had a lot of big uh, response pretty quickly. So I was pretty encouraged about that, but I just still felt like I was doing homework if I ever tried to write something. Right, right. But I listened to podcasts. I was like, man, 
talking. That's what it's all about. We sit in the green rooms. We sit backstage. We talk with people from all over the world. We, you know, this is the this is the format. So guys, like guys, we got to do a podcast. It'll work. It will work. You trust me. This is going to work. But I had no expectation it would work to the degree it did. So yeah. we just hmm. did, we just did an episode. We did one pilot and kind of threw it away, and then figured out how to put some sound in it. You know, I'm an audio engineer anyway, so that part wasn't hard. Yeah. And I thought I had a pretty good idea of what would work, and we just got on there and tried to just talk like we normally talk as best as we can and let people hear it. And it worked immediately. So the, immediately when we put out our first episode, we had a little bit of the platform, obviously, with Emory and the blog that we've been doing. Right. And the numbers were way more massive than anything else that that we could have expected or what people I – mean, it was just immediately like, okay, here we go. So are there, are there certain, we abandoned uh, you know, trying to write blogs pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Are there certain kind of non-negotiables for the kind of conversations you have or the kind of conversations you wanted to have that still kind of press in after 300 episodes? It, help me with that question a little bit more. No, like what? Like um, we were going to be ruthlessly honest. Like values that you guys said. This this is what's going to guide this podcast that have yeah. stayed true for three hundred episodes. So we're going to be honest. We're going to use yeah. real language. We're going to talk about of real course. things. Like those sorts of things. Yeah, those things for sure. I mean, I think that there's, you know, the goal's always been to try to do the best job we can of of being like we are off air on air. And also there's okay. a part of a principle where we live in different towns, even though Toby and Joey at one point lived both in the same town. We live in different places, so we literally can almost just catch up and talk like we would and have our hangout be public or something like that right. because we don't get to hang out as much as we'd like to. And so it's just a, a way to just to do that and just, just see what happens. And we, I mean, we haven't changed – We've changed, played around with some format stuff, but we haven't changed anything about what we're trying to do, I don't think, at all. We've changed as people in three years. We've changed our opinions in three years all the time. Um, but what we're trying to do, it seems even more clear than ever yeah. these days. That It's a little bit more intimidating than ever, and I worry about it because it seems like it's easy to get in trouble. But I know if you just take a deep breath and tell the truth, that's, I just don't, I'm not interested in doing anything else. When you, say, not when you say easy to get in trouble, do you just mean like PC stuff? Yeah. Or, well, yeah. With, yeah. I think that's the most dangerous one. So the Christian squelching has always been a huge problem, but we figured out how to break through that. So I, that's one of the things I'm most proud of is right. people all in my whole life of being in the Christian music industry, I just see people being careful, toning it down, making safe choices, not being and reels drives me crazy. So I, I know that I've always been looking to break that barrier, right. and uh, we've been effectively able to do that. And that, mm -hmm. I don't see that as a threat. What? So I don't give a crap what, you know, I, I feel totally free. I'm not worried about a backlash or it's going to hurt our sales right. or hurt our numbers. We've cultivated something where that doesn't happen. So I'm most proud of that. But some on the, on, and on the other side, I really like the fact that we're kind of progressive and trying to accept new ideas and even move to to what most would consider even more left or even more liberal than our upbringing or traditionally we probably are headed in that direction to some degree however that side is very scary as far as when they want to attack or shut you down or make you look bad right. that's that i see is a little bit more danger than the christian side they're they're starting to look like um you know, the right. Christian legalist people are starting to look a little bit more like yappy puppies trying to make noise, but you don't have, you can ignore them. It's okay. Right. But on the, <laughs> but, like. but, but on the liberal side, that, that, that gets nasty because you're not liberal yes. enough. 
Right. Mm-hmm. They, that's that's scarier to me at this moment in history. Right. Yes. Because okay, so on the journey, the journey from the conservative side, let's call it, um, is less intimidating because mm-hmm. uh, you've broken through that that threshold of honesty and mm-hmm. and ruthless authenticity. But you're not liberal enough yet for some. And, um, and so like, I, I, I was, uh, I, I got wind of, you didn't have enough women on or you didn't have enough. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, that kind of thing. Okay. So, so when you say, when you say that's, that's where the fear comes is from that mm-hmm. side now, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Cause you, would yeah, say- and I don't think it's a big fear. It's just, here's the problem. Okay. Let me, let me say it another way. It's actually not a problem. It's actually in a way a good thing because I mean, it's got a bad edge to it for sure or malicious but there's something amazing about having enough people hear what you're doing that you will get feedback that is totally dead on like it you can tell some stuff's obnoxious you can tell some stuff's malicious whatever right but you you don't get away with anything like if you if you misspeak or disingenuous or go back on your word or playing a part or being obnoxious or even interrupt people too much I find, I hear it and they're right. <laughs> I know they are. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so you you just have to separate what's true and not true or what's malicious or or whatever. But I love the fact that somebody that's disingenuous, we we could, we we're in this territory now that is policed so hard that at least that stuff's starting to stick out. Right. Which is making the whole mm-hmm. climate super weird because you go, oh, that guy that I thought was just a trusted real dude seems like he was just. He's being disingenuous. Oh, he was faking this whole time. He's not even really like that. You right, know, people right. are just starting to wake up to that notion that the media they've been consuming, even the pastors and left or right wing media, oh, guess what? This stuff is super jaded and yeah. slanted and and fake in a lot of places. So I'm I'm I love that that's exposed, but it's created a little bit of chaos and, and tumultuous stuff. So it's a really good and bad side of that so do you see christian podcasting in general beyond the sermon so it's just flooded now with all sorts of of podcasts that some follow your format some are you know they're just all over the map how do you see the podcast space filling places where to use the old term the like the body of christ was lacking like mm-hmm. what's the gift of the christian podcast industry to greater christianity in america as a whole well, I mean, you know, like you said, it's all part of the body of Christ, and somebody's got to be the armpit, so we, we'll be that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But nobody else wanted to. Do, nobody else signed up for the job, and we we can do it. And but no, that's the problem that I have with the body of Christ is everybody wants to be just whatever the crown jewel of it. Like that, every yeah. church is like, mm-hmm. well, we are, and this big, wide, all-encompassing. Uh, thing to reach the most people. Right. And I don't like that. It's Empire. not that's not right. That's everybody trying to do the same thing competitively instead of alternative things or smaller things. And I think it's basically equals lowest common denominator. I say it's the same as if you could only make one TV show, you would have to make Big Bang Theory. That just appeals <laughs> to the broadest set of people and gets the best ratings. It's not the best show. Nobody thinks it's the best show. Right. But every, right. nobody can agree on what's the best show cuz some people don't like Breaking Bad and some people don't like you know, whatever this is something counter to that, but at least we can all dumbly right. sit in a on our couch and veg out to Big Bang Theory or it's America's like, Funniest and, Home Videos. Yes. That would, that'd be my vote, <laughs> which actually is probably my favorite show. But, <laughs> um, but I, but but and that's what churches have seemed to want to do. It, there's been no alternative. I mean, everybody thinks they're different, or they're get, but everybody basically thinks they're getting it right, and everybody's competing for one 
part of right. the body of Christ right. the way I see it. And I think right. you need way more stuff. And people, it's disrespectful to listeners and audience and congregation to think you need to have it all in package and give it to them instead of let them freaking pick and choose what that. And people don't like the language of pick and choose. I'm not talking about the Bible, but that you're learning and everything you know about and care about. Of course, you get it aggregated from all over culture. So right. it's a, a completely obnoxious and disrespectful to pretend like a church, local church is your source of almost anything, in my opinion, yeah. other than the very narrow set of things that it can do. And yeah. so things like Christian podcasts or other people, they're doing things way different is all good, no matter what, in my opinion. What, how many other podcasts do you ever listen to? I mean, do you or do you expose yourself to a lot of other uh, podcasters or podcasts mm-hmm. in the Christian space? Oh yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm a huge consumer of podcasts for sure, and yeah, I think probably all over the place. But um, how do you I see, don't listen to a lot of Christian podcasts, but it's <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just an interesting. The Christian podcast space is an interesting space. You seem to have. The sermon, you know, kind of replay. Mm-hmm. You've got the discussion sort of panel. You've got the Q and A sort of mix. You've got Christian podcasts who do nothing but interviews. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, you guys seem to have this unique space where you're doing a little bit of all of it. Mm-hmm. And um, and I and so I was just wondering, kind of what you th- what do do you have thoughts about where the the future of that space is headed? Well, I do think in podcasting that it's a very, very like it's blown up and everything, but it's still very small and it's still mm-hmm. extremely new. So I don't think any of the best ideas have even been conceptualized yet in podcasting. I mean, I don't know the future of the format. I don't even have any huge predictions. But you know, TV shows weren't good for right. fifty years until now. They're <laughs> unbelievable. Like it took a long time for for it to get to the the you know TV used to be this kind of goofy hacky thing, and now it's unbelievable. So I think podcasting even more so. There's no hardly no money behind it. It's independent creators that l- you largely lack even experience in entertainment mm-hmm. who are podcasting. <laughs> so the future is just super wide open. So I'm very excited to see what will happen. But I, I don't think we're even scratching the surface yet on what could be done and how the, the medium could be utilized. How do you feel – and maybe this is the same answer, but how do you feel uh, about the future of the church in America? Um, you, you seem to – A little less optimistic. Okay, okay. <laughs> but, All right, I like I mean, that. But, but I like thing, that. I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but I mean if you just put that in the same context of the logic I just used, yep. the church has had a lot of time. We've had a couple thousand years to work on it. And we seem to run into a bunch of dead ends. So that that's I don't know what the future of the church is. I'm I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not even super down on it. I'm just saying we've had a lot. We're in a a negative phase currently. Like we've already most of the good ideas have been had, and it seems like it's been saturated and formally uh, refined and over processed and overdone and overanalyzed for so long that we're in kind of a, 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 a quagmire, uh, hmm. I think. Yep. And, and it's so, not brand new or it'd be exciting. If you could erase everybody's memory about the church, start with the Bible and say, let's start over again. I think you get some great ideas, but that's, <laughs> we're not going to do that. So all we do is talk about what, how can we add something edgy to our Sunday morning thing at 1115? Right. You're not going to get anywhere with that. Right, 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 right. Yep. And, I'd rather throw it out and start over, honestly. Okay. And that's why mega churches have an expiration date. I think so. Yeah. Because, oh, well, I mean, because you know, it's just the repackaging. You get on the technicality that that they won't technically expire, or go away. They'll always be. St- like, there's still Amish people, right? So it's not nothing's <laughs> going away. You know, it just won't be the power system and the dominant thing is all. 
Why do you think that? Because it's silly. It's obviously silly. Well, it's obviously it? well, except you know, you've got how many people go to elevation? How many people, you know, are uh, with Judas Smith and at Hillsong and whatever else? So, mm-hmm. so in 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 some cultural terms, it seems like yeah, business is booming, right? Yeah, but I mean, you don't think that's gonna continue, do you? Oh, I do, but I'm interviewing you. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I I don't. Well, I'm just trying to pose it in the obvious way that l- this is obviously silly. So. I'm not trying to be way ahead of the curve, but I don't think it takes a, a crazy uh, future-thinking person to feel like this is headed somewhere goofy. Well, it seems like it's doing the same thing for an increasingly shrinking um, share of the audience. You know yes. what I mean? That that the audience that you're that, that is even attracted to that stuff is shrinking so dramatically, and so you've got to keep up in the entertainment value or the. Yes. The right, systems, exactly. the organization, I mean, that sort of thing. Right. So and you, I may have said this in the episode, but I think about this a lot. In biology, there's a, there's a term when you, think, when you study evolution and stuff that says that, and that, that gigantism often precedes extinction. And it's just when something becomes a big resource hog, it can become dominant, like a dinosaur, for instance. They right. needed hmm. a tremendous amount of resources, and they, they, actually, they got so big uh, that they, they became vulnerable, you know? Like, yeah. When the an asteroid hits, it's not really going to kill all the bacteria, but the dinosaurs, are, you know, a few degree temperature change sinks the whole species, basically. And so you see with the megachurches that they're, I mean, you've got to be realistic. There's so many stats that say, see, this church is growing, and every megachurch shows how what the right. growth is. Right. Of course. The, the, the other side of that coin is they're just siphoning off the churches that don't, aren't as attractional on the, the corner. I grew up in the South. There's a church every five seconds away from each other. Those are going away. They're getting empty, and those people are going to elevation for now. But right. they're never going back to those little churches. So uh, Mars Hill, elevation, if I'm taking the most cynical view, they're siphoning off all these Christian communities and pulling people into their system and getting their resources and their money, and they're going to chew those, a lot of those people up and spit them out, and they're not going back anywhere. So I actually see it as destructive. Um, to some degree, right. and it's not it's not like, I mean, people I've seen it at Mars Hill, and I mean, so it makes me sound jaded or cynical. I'm you just were, saying, no, were you were pa- you were a pastor there? At Mars I was Hill? a deacon, a worship leader, a volunteer counselor, oh my um, things like that. But I never was on staff. But um, I, I was there since two thousand and four. Oh wow! Um, and left before it got about when it got really insane. It, too, I left too late to be honest, but. Okay. What I saw there is, I mean, everybody that ever you went to church with just came from, they weren't new Christians, they just came from a smaller church. And now they go to our church, and then our church destroyed itself, and those people didn't go back to their small churches, and a great number of them aren't even Christians anymore. So it destroyed people. Yeah, right. It did that. Yeah. So how do you— Okay, and so, you know, some people have gone on to other churches, or the people that are just, I I have to figure this out, and persisted. They're still somewhere. They found a community, whatever. But the people that were just trying to figure this out or be in the stream, they're like, screw this. Oh, now, oh, this is the answer. And their eyes were open to the big mega church, and this guy has all the answers. And then you find out they don't. What do you do then? Right. You're out. I mean, if, unless you're super dedicated and you just can't get, you know, it, it leaves a lot of people just out. They're just, I don't, where do you go? I don't, I don't know. I'm not really sure anymore. That's, that's, that's a lot of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Double digits percentages, if, if not 50. I mean, it's not 50, but it's double-digit percentages of people that came up, siphoned from a small church up to the mega church. It failed them, and now they're just 
what, what are they supposed to do? Yeah, yeah, right. we call them refugees from yeah. kind of mega church culture. Right. right. Because, you know, it's not easy to go back to a small, stupider church that doesn't have the, <laughs> the dynamic speaker and the sound and the lights and all that. That's not an easy uh, regression to make. Right. 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 I mean, because what we're saying is, I think, um, could we say that, like, what happened at Mars Hill is somewhat of a foretale of. That's what we're seeing exactly. in that entire culture. Cause like if it's, you know, well, I mean, we, I guess we assume like, well, you know, eventually like something's going to happen at elevation. That's going to cause that thing to fall apart. Something's going to happen at X church or that but kind of, it doesn't of- have to be an epic fate. Like, I don't think you'll see all churches implode and dissolve like Marcel. That's not going to happen. Right. But they are going to change. They're going to slowly die. Most, most of them. And they're also going to, uh, the other thing that I feel like is probably going to happen is they're probably just going to, because they're resource hogs and they're number driven and money driven, um, they're going to wind up just uh, compromising a, a lot of their beliefs when they need to in order to survive. That they're mm-hmm. they're totally beholden to the money given to them and their constituency or whatever you want to call it. So sure. as the culture changes, they're going to just change. So you may have mega churches that grow up in the future that are, for instance, gay affirming. And then the ones that aren't will get smaller or they'll flip because that's what they must do to keep up. So right. I believe that's the type of, of futures we'll see in mega churches. Right. Yeah. It's just totally pragmatic, totally right. numbers driven. Right. So 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 then what's the what's what's the alternative? I mean, if you've got all these refugees, if mega churches are on the way out, um, where, where do you see space for people to actually uh, encounter Jesus and each other and all that, you know, Christian stuff uh, in community? Well, I would say first thing I would say there is I don't feel the necessity to tell that in the fact of criticizing something rightly or telling the truth that I'm also obligated to have a solution. I get that a lot. Oh, what's your solution? (laughs) I I don't have to have a solution for what we do with all the the slaves when we abolish slavery to know that we need to abolish slavery. Right. Right. Well, what's your solution for the economy? What do you? How are you going to rehouse all these people? I don't know, but we got to knock this shit off. Sorry, I said <laughs> word again. No, it's um, fine. Do you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. uh, that, yeah. that. So I don't think it's incumbent on me to have any solutions. First of all, but I do appreciate this conversation. I just I think that you empower people, and and it's it's okay. It's okay to not have answers. I think if you respect people's minds and you empower them with truth, and let them f- feel free and untether them from institutional stuff, then I think they'll figure it out. Or, right. or you know, as a, as a collective intelligence, I think we figure it out. But if, as long as you're baby fe- baby food feeding people and keeping them on the slow drip, I don't, I don't, so I, I'm not that afraid of chaos personally in, in the church. World. Right, right, right. World. I just not, you know, but I can see why some people would be. So, yeah. So the alternative would be decentralized, empowered, Mm-hmm. Uh, entrepreneurs, almost spiritual entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. uh, looking at different forms, trying different stuff, failing a ton, and mm-hmm. seeing kind of, kind of where the spirit moves. Which, sure. which, no, I mean that's, uh, I think that's about as far as we can go. Right. But, but I, but you know, you guys have have given a lot of conversation to it and some thought to it. And so I was just curious, you know, the, the question I want to ask that is unfair to you is, okay, so let's say God calls you to plant a church. What's that thing look like? Um, I've thought about it a lot. And I used to you? think I was going to do that. Now I don't think I'm interested. But, <laughs> <laughs> so what would you? What would be pieces of it if you've thought about? It? I mean, and, uh, we're holding you to nothing, and, okay. and this is all, sure. all all disclaimers apply. Yeah. 
Um, man, if I could go far enough back in my Evernote, I bet I could find some notes. Um, <laughs> um, I think that the important things to do. I mean, it's easier to pick apart things not to do for sure. 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 And I, I just think that's the phase we're in. We'll, but start, I would, we'll start there. I would, I would pick apart. Um, here's the problem: as soon as you make any criticism, people they just are so resistant to it. They'll go, "Well, you can't say that because I know one example where that's not true." But I know, <laughs> but that's just not that's just not an intellectually reasonable thing to to not allow any right. dialogue to happen. But I don't like. Uh, paid pastors. Well, there's a verse says that pastors should earn their wage. I don't like it because I think it attracts the wrong people. Ooh, I think I there's like one of the biggest problems in church culture is it attracts the wrong people for the positions of power. Youth ministers, yeah. Catholic priests, uh, police officers are the same way. Uh, substitute and elementary school teachers are, are that sometimes you get the wrong people attracted to to the, a role. And you right. can't stop it. And the church has a bad problem of uh, – uh, yep. what's the word for it? It just has a bad non-confrontational uh, benefit of the doubt culture that just allows for all kind of negative stuff right. where you can't criticize somebody. And it's just it's just wrong. I mean it's not good. Yeah. It causes a lot of harm and danger. So paid staff and the, the power of individual celebrities and staff members, I just don't like it. Even on the local small level, I think it's problematic. Yeah. So yeah. you've got to be looking for something that's more democratized. Uh, we have that te- freaking technology now to democratize stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Better and let the because the uh, the one guy isn't the guy who knows. It's everybody together is smarter than any one guy. That's I think that's a, a basically a true thing about anything. And that's what I was saying before is the internet. My all of my Twitter followers together know a lot more than I do. Right. Yeah. The smartest person in the world's Twitter feed is smarter than he is. It has more information, faster, that's right. No individual maybe – I mean, you know, one charismatic guy that studied a lot and been to seminary may have the actual most inter, you know, information if it's one-on-one competition. But the democratization, the utilization of technology should open up all kinds of things that reduce the amount of power or influence of a single individual that's obviously – we know that now. The best politicians are unbelievably flawed and messed up and in unable to handle a certain amount of power. Right. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. got to start by fixing that. I love that. I don't that. know how. Yeah. So, yeah. So we start by having either bivocational or entirely non-paid uh, well, staff I mean, people. I'm not making it a rule or no, something. No, no, no. But, but, but I think that's really you know, interesting. I'd like to see where that takes us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, one thing that might inform this conversation um, – Talk, talk a little bit about what you've what you've kind of seen on like the the BC Club Facebook. So because like I'm a part of that, I've jumped into tons of conversations there, and, and to me that's that feels like this very decentralized, freeform community. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, right? That's that's kind mm-hmm. of been pulled around the conversations you guys are doing. But it's it's it, I'm always so fascinated when uh, individuals will be like, "Hey, let's get together," or "I want to start a conversation mm-hmm. on this thing." I mean. I haven't I haven't felt like I've been able to see something in a public space on like a national level or even like global level mm-hmm. where all those ideas collide and it seems like people really want to have those conversations. I mean does does any of that stuff that's taking place there kind of inform, you know, a prospect that hasn't really been uh, explored, mm-hmm. you know, for a church? 
so the BC Club Facebook group is an experiment, really, and it's a wild one. It's a zoo over there. I mean, it's, it's yeah. completely unregulated, unmoderated, because that just seems in line with the principles of our, our show. And it changes, and this is true sociologically, but it changes. Everything changes at different size dynamics. For instance, a small group of eight changes after you get past 12. Mm-hmm. People start to behave. You ever notice that? People yep, start to behave totally. differently until, yep. you know, and that's just built into human physiology in the brain, I imagine. Um, but, uh, you know, so when the club had 100 people or 200 people in it, it was had a very different vibe than it does now. It's 900 or 1,000 people, and it's like a high school now. So it's as big <laughs> as a high school, and then you have all the requisite things that go along with that. So it can be unbelievably crazy and then there's sub clicks and subgroups and right. teams and that stuff just seems to be part of natural human dynamics hmm. but it's founded around our show with people that are like-minded um so what's interesting about it is the experiment of having it uncontrolled would make most people uncomfortable most people to jumped in way earlier and said we're not doing this we're not doing this we're going to do all these things and this is what we're about but not gonna i'm not gonna do that i'm not right. interested in doing that so if people want to ruin it I hope they don't. I hope it can police itself. But my principle tells me you got to leave it be and let it do what it's going to do and allow the individuals to figure out what relationships they want to make. And hopefully it's productive. But it is it is a bit crazier once, you know, once it hit over 700 for for whatever reason, it seemed to. Yeah. um, To change a little bit. Yeah, because I guess what I'm wondering is like, which it must be true about big churches too. I mean, well, if you that's have a exactly church of fourteen thousand people, there's got there's inherent yeah. things right. in there that are going that's to be right. harmful, right. no and, matter what. And, that, and that's kind of what I was going to say, because like, how how much does that that sociology experiment stand contrary to people in large churches? I mean, I, it almost feels like the larger church organization ignores that that's actually happening, you of know, and, and trying to inform from the top and trying to maintain an, an aspect of control. But if we're really honest about it, I mean, it probably looks a lot more like that than they're willing to admit. Oh, of course. But yeah, that's just what I'm saying. The church has a horrible culture of not refining itself. And it's just, it's a, it's, a, it's really sad. And it comes at a, a really big cost and harms a lot of people. But yeah, a big enough church has to be more authoritarian. It has to be. I don't like that. I mean, hmm. I, maybe a lot of people do, but I don't like it. Hmm. It seems wrong to me. I mean, the more I see it and think about it, so I, I, I don't. So I that's can, why. Only, so that's why you worked myself. at Mars Hill because they were mm-hmm. very anti-authoritarian. Very <laughs> well, see, I, but I'm, I'm also attracted to it. You know, you can see why pe- somebody would be attracted to that. You want. I mean, it's, it's just you want a king, like in the Old Testament. You just uh, want. Yeah. You want one. You that's want good. a solution that's a human that knows something because you don't know. I don't know right. what I'm doing. That's right. not easy. It's easier to say he knows. That's how. That's how. That's how humans work. So of course you want somebody to know, and but the, it, at some point to keep control and keep that up, it becomes it becomes worse. So on one hand, I was attracted to uh, reform theology and Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll because it seemed like it had answers at a time when I desperately wanted there to be answers. Hmm. Yeah. Additionally, it grew as a culture and got larger and became obviously more false and controlling and authoritarian over time as well. So even the church that it was in 2005, I thought was badass. I wish that still existed, right. but nothing stays the same. And that's right. true about anything. So it didn't stay that way. And I'm at a different place as you know, over time too. So nothing stays the same. So keep that in mind with whatever you try to design <laughs> or do. I don't know if I'll be podcasting in here. It won't, it's not going to stay the same. I've been right. in a band. What is it supposed to do? Last for 40 years. I mean, it's not going to stay the same. Whatever you build, it, it's just not going to stay. Yeah. So 
I don't know what you're supposed to do with that, but if that's true, <laughs> you should, it should inform you a little bit instead of trying to build the biggest empire that can never be toppled. It's well, the most it, right. It's goofy. Yeah, and it seems like you want to build something that's adaptive, um, that can mm-hmm. move quick, that can like respond to feedback. You know, and all of those like anti-institutional things to make it more of organism than organization, you know, all of that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, if if the last 10 years have shown us anything, we're having conversations in the church now that we would never have had. Right. Uh, about about subjects, about uh, doctrinal issues. I mean, that we, mm-hmm. I mean, growing up, I grew up in the Midwest, would never have a million years thought you, we, we would be having uh, conversations about ordaining uh, gay folks as pastors and bishops mm-hmm. and leaders and and you know I mean and and that just seems like it's going to increase in right. speed it, right it will it, it's interesting I don't know if you want to go this direction whether if you put much thought into it but I'm kind of interested lately in thinking about the the parallels of fundamentalism from just from the Muslim world and the Christian world like how do you want fundamentalists of other religions to behave or evolve. Right. And would you not? Would that not be true about yours? Because well, yours is the, <laughs> the one that's right, where you need to yeah. stick to it, and no matter how it seems weird, you know, like I don't know. That it's a little bit confusing because you say, yeah, but our book is the right one, so we do need to stick to everything it says. But theirs, I hope they kind of let down the, the the super literal stuff. Right. 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 Relax. Relax <laughs> right. a little right. bit. Right. Hey, but come on, you know, just update it as you go here. But you don't want to do that with yours. But you got to. You got to kind of sit with that a little bit and ask how, you know, what does fundamentalism mean? You right. know, like to what degree can you be fundamentalist and, and be missing the big picture? Or I, I don't know. I mean, that's the wrong idea. I'm not sure, but it's worth thinking about. Is that does that in in kind of summary sort of describe your journey? I mean, I don't know what kind of church you were raised in. Um, you know, would you would you have called it a fundamentalist church that you? Grew well, the up in? interesting thing about me, um, as opposed to Toby and Joey's, I was raised in a very liberal Presbyterian church in the South, okay. where everybody else was uh, evangelical and uh, Church of God and just super charismatic. Uh, where where I grew up, and so I can, I'll make this as short as I can. I grew up thinking, as a eight year old, that clearly these people. At my church, don't believe this stuff. This is just something we do. Like it was, it was liberal to the degree where I was like, "Well, then, then, no, these people don't even believe this stuff, and neither, neither do I." Right? Is, is is kind of the experience. I mean, yeah, we go to yeah. There's, I thought it was like Santa Claus. Like this is just baby stuff that we do. It's, it, I know it sounds silly, but I feel like I was looking at it sociologically yeah. as a kid, going, "Well, why?" Are, I mean, you, Daddy, you don't believe. I mean, come on. Anyway, <laughs> we'll go along with, it, and our culture did a lot. Um, so then when I became – so I was just waiting till I learned enough about the world where I could shed religion because it was clearly just a right. tool for dummies or something. I don't know what I thought it was. but yeah. um, So I was into science and evolution and debating that in middle school. Like, okay, come on. Let's figure this out. This is, Your stuff is silly, obviously. Um, but then I had a spiritual experience and became convinced that the Bible was true hmm. and – but the, the where I grew up in still wasn't getting it. So I became uh, about the time I was in college or something convinced that this was there was something actually real there, and I just hadn't understood what it was yet. So I took to like reading the Bible and learning it and trying to understand what it means. I didn't trust a lot of other people. I couldn't find anybody else that I didn't think was a goofball talking about it because the <laughs> charismatic goofballs in the South were just like right. they just they clearly didn't seem. Like they had a good grip on it, um, and then the liberal people didn't seem like they believed it. So I, 
I took to trying to look hmm. search, and it took me probably ten years until I found Reformed theology, smart people on the West Coast that were culturally cool at Mars Hill, and I was like, yes. It, see, this is real. It does exist. There is a way. There are answers. Got it. It could be super logical. I always like. I was really attracted to Reformed theology. So, you know, I went in pretty deep on that and thought, yes, this is what I like. This makes sense. I'm going to get this figured out. And it dead ended in some other way. It turns out I just was blind to its flaws. And so, you know, I'm still convinced that Jesus is real and the Bible is true. Right. Whatever those things mean, I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like, though, as you talk about moving left, um, and, and I didn't know if that was a singular you or if that was the podcast or the three of you together versus how you were raised. So that may not be yeah. true of you. You you went from uber left to uber right to more middle. Is that is that fair to say? Well, certainly even a liberal Presbyterian church in South Carolina is an uber left, but, um, <laughs> but with it may be within Christian terms, it, it is. Um, but I would say if that's probably my journey, I would also clarify that I have no intent of going right or left. I'm just observing the facts on the ground that I'm farther left. Up, up in I hate the terms liberal and left. Or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I would, I'd actually go progressive and now I don't, if you, you know, progressive to me is more of a pure term in the sense that it means you're progressing. You know, I don't know what I would don't necessarily align with anything ideologically about people that are self-identified as progressives. I think they're becoming quite regressive in many ways, but I'm here to learn more, ask deeper questions and be uh, more mature in my understanding. Um, in, instead of trying to make everything black and white and simply getting it right, it seems a little bit more like maturity to me to ask questions and go deeper. But, outwardly or as it seems on the ground when you do that you seem you move farther from the right so maybe you describe it as left now i would say that is also true for toby and joey but i wouldn't stop there i would say it's true for y'all and i would say it's true yeah, of yeah. evangelical church and christianity and culture at large now the extreme lefty people i mean i don't know i'm not even i don't even know about them but in general most I think culturally everybody's kind of softening on the conservative and rigidity and those kinds of things, right? Like, right. isn't that kind of society as a whole? Absolutely. I think it is. So, Yeah. No, that makes sense. And, and, and the safer you make it to have honest conversations, the more ideas yeah. you're exposed to, the more people's stories you hear. Uh, some of the things that seemed obvious, you know, 10 years ago don't seem so obvious anymore. <laughs> You know, I mean, what's, yeah. what's the number one reason uh, that I hear from people who become gay affirming? Well, it's I met this person right. or I had this relative that's or right. I, you know, that's what's so. The, so the democratization of all of this has really opened up storytelling as, as a means for theological um, rethinking. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like how many things are there out there that are headed a trending a direction that there's any possibility of it reversing? Like. Right. Yeah. Sexuality, marijuana, alcohol. Uh, okay, dancing. You think we may go back on rock and roll dancing and tattoos at some point um, as we further clarify <laughs> and understand theology better? If yeah. we get better theological tools, might no. we return no, to you outlawing see with, dancing? You see, no, you see it with divorce. Yeah. Right. It's become totally accepted uh, in the church. So you'll see it with sexuality. You'll see it with... Um, the interesting place that's not happening yet are the, the political spaces. Those are, mm. those places aren't, uh, in any way, shape or form moving. They're just becoming hardened. Well, that's troubling in its own way, because it, that points to the fact that, that people's identities are more deeply that yes. way than they are as Christians. That's, that's right. Really sad. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And politicians now are playing on that in ways that yeah. are 
right. it, unbelievable. Yeah, we're, we're in a little bit of a dangerous time as far as uh, manipulating of people. Like, it's easier than ever before. Like, a, as we yep. get better at it, like, uh, I mean, think about what Sitting Ducks people were the first time used car salesmen worked up their stick. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. Sitting Ducks for the right. snake oil salesmen that traveled town to town. You've never seen that before. You're, yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're done. Yeah. It doesn't matter how smart you are. You've never heard that rhetoric before. You don't know how it's being used against you. Blah blah blah. That's right. That's right. And so we we have a time now when tons of people and politicians and advertising and marketing have just unbelievable data and metrics and Facebook and social media. Even AI is good at making you do stuff that you're not even aware it's making you do. Right. It's a little scary. So yeah. it, it, people are being manipulated at an all-time level, and they're starting to come online one at a time. Every day, somebody wakes up and goes, wait a minute. I don't think that's – I think he's just saying that. You know, Every day, <laughs> more and more people wake the up matrix. to that, but that's the yeah. phase we're in. Well, right. right. I mean, you'd say that about your preacher or of the course. guy on the news. Like, wait a minute. Why is he talking like that? Right. Is that – what is this? That, and that's – Every day, there's more and more people coming online to that. And there have to be places where those people gather to have the the, the reawakening conversation. And mm-hmm. so I see what you guys are doing, and I see the podcast space, if it's done well, is a place where those conversations are happening that never would have happened uh, two yes. years ago. Now, right. do you guys get do you guys get flack for being specific in criticism of of other pastors and other churches? Because every now because well, I every now and again I'll hear. You know, you should not. You t- shouldn't take shots uh, at other people in the body of Christ. You know, God will judge them. Blah blah blah. If you approach them mm-hmm. privately, so and so and so on. You guys at least seem willing to say, "Well, there's something seems that's funky of elevation. Yeah, something seems nonsense, funky at Mars Hill." You know, blah blah blah. Why? Why do you think? So? Why do you think so? Because it seems like you guys um, and others play this sort of prophetic, and I don't want to go Bible-y, but kind of a prophetic role in speaking truth yeah. against some of that nonsense. Well, I mean, so do journalists with podcast uh, with politicians or companies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or the totally. government. But this is like, new. But this is you, new in the Christian space. It's not new in the secular space. This is new in the Christian space, in ways it's not new other places. I mean, you can make the same argument for government that government is ordained by God, and you render it into what is Caesar's, and we shouldn't Absolutely. criticize politicians on either side of the aisle because they're the ones that are in charge of us. And come on, you got to give them the benefit of the doubt. That's nonsense. That's preposterous. The fact that we have people speaking out and holding politicians accountable and trying to discover you know inequity is a good thing for everything in the world why would not why wouldn't it be so in the church that's why you get hidden people doing really bad stuff or even pedophiles and and abuse that's where that comes from because you can't you don't want to question the people of god they're right. up, that's us right. that's that's nonsense it's preposterous it's dangerous so i would never i mean the difference is um I, I do have a, a line that I would draw, and it would be that I can't stand – I think I'm in a sweet spot here. I could be wrong, <laughs> but I think the sweet spot is that it's wonderful and necessary to criticize, especially with if you use humor and satire and stuff like that. People right. can handle that with right. everything else, so they should be able to with the church. But right. the point is to criticize rightly. What I don't like – that we see a lot in the media is that when you are seeking to harm or destroy people because you don't like what they think or what they do. So although I may not like Stephen Furtick, I'm not calling for him to be fired or destroyed. I don't like people are for Bill Maher, Kathy Griffin. I don't, I don't like that. I hate that. Right. I think Bill Maher is what he is. Kathy Griffin is what she is. More power to him. Like him. Don't like him. Criticize him all you want. 
but don't organize a campaign to try to get them fired and lose their livelihood and make an example out of them. That's tribal and that's dangerous. And I'm not into, I'm not trying to harm a person, right. but anybody deserves to be criticized. That's just normal, especially if you're a public figure and especially, I mean, I mean, that's part of the built into our podcast. I, we constantly criticize each other and that's why we're balanced people. And that's we've always done yeah. that our whole life. Like we don't have a, our band is a pretty democratic band where it's, complimentary in strengths and weaknesses and we don't let anybody get away with anything so all, that's all we're doing is extending that to the larger and larger group i think that's necessary when you get yes man give me a break you know that's wrong you know it is so um, that's criticizing somebody there's nothing wrong with that yeah yeah at, at what so at what point or do you ever hear this at what point is the do we have to move beyond the questions and the criticism to building something you know do you feel like and I, I just don't know the answer to this. Do you feel like what are you building at Bad Christian in in terms of the podcast? Is it a culture? Is it a set of values? Is it a movement? I mean, what are you building? I'm trying to help more people uh, wake up, I guess. But that implies like I know something, which I'm not even trying to imply. I'm just trying to sh- – I'll put it this way. I am trying to clear out elbow room. I'm trying to make elbow room for other people. I'm just tra- – you know, going through a jungle with a machete, and I, I, I don't care. When I'm when I get through the other side, I'm gone. I don't care what y'all do, but at least right. maybe y'all can get through the jungle now. And if I say something really embarrassing or vulnerable about myself, or look really stupid on air, and it's okay, well, I know that that'll have a, a profound effect to people right. that listen are willing to do that in their local communities or with their wife. Oh, Joey talked about something super bad he did with his wife, and now somebody else can have that conversation at work. I don't need any credit for it. It doesn't need to be part of my institution or some proprietary community that I build. Yeah. I don't care. Right. I, but if you can hear me be obnoxious and it's, I'm okay, then you're going to be okay. You can tell the truth too. Yeah. That's my only goal. Okay. And then there's plenty of people to figure stuff out. So, and I don't know if they're, they're going to figure it out. Yeah. Or I don't know if it'll be the next generation or two from now that anything gets better. It may get worse for three generations in a row for all I know. Right. But I'm pretty confident that step one is you know just get get – clear out some elbow room, give other people breathing room. So if that makes me the fool, I'm okay with that. It yeah. doesn't mean I don't need to be the leader of anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes yeah, sense. Sure. Um, it, the whole thing strikes me like as kind of just positionally where all this stuff is taking place. Like we've, you know, Mike, you've made comments in the past of like more on the political side of like, you know, I, I, I can't wait till this next generation like moves on, you know, like and how that might shape politics and how that might change our future. I mean, a lot of the... It just seems like a millennial generation that's kind of stepping into this is our early adopters. They change faster. They move quicker. And they're, they're usually significantly more willing to open up conversations mm-hmm. um, and go into dangerous places. And it, it, it does fascinate me that the type of people that are in very authoritative power, both politics, um, a lot of big church leaders and that kind of thing, are still kind of part of this tradition over the past 30, 40 years for where that's how it's supposed to look. So it's I, I could totally agree that the natural progression of change is kind of that's just upon us we're just kind of in the middle of Mm -hmm. it you know obviously 15 years from now it is all going to look different um i am just very curious as to how that's going to look in 10 to 15 years with a generation that is so adaptive and so willing to change and like how you know that's that's obviously a a 
a massive hypothetical imaginative mm-hmm. idea, but I just, um, I don't but know, still, but like, it still I, blows my mind that, that 20 somethings are attracted to mega churches. That, that's what, okay. That's what I wanted to say. Cause I was like, mm-hmm. but why then do those mega churches still thrive with these 20 somethings? I mean, and, and Barna, like in September last year released a thing. It was like, you know, these churches above 3000 people, this is 6% of the entire church populations that are out there, but yet they're the ones that get the most airtime. They have mm-hmm. the loudest voice in the space. And so how much, of it is a distortion of us seeing that as a reality versus all the other small churches that do exist under 500 people that make up like 54 or 60 percent of like the actual nation's churches right. like that's i i got i, I, I kind of get a little bit boggled when i think of the numbers but yet when i think when i try to analyze culture i'm quick to look at yeah what's happening in mega church spaces are these just all a bunch of idiots that are following some guy or right. like what what's actually happening and hmm. that's tough for me I, I, I don't know. Um, I I resist the urge to make. No, I don't. I like to make predictions. Yeah, um, but I don't yeah. think I don't think it, uh, my batting average will necessarily be that high. So I try to make predictions vague. Um, <laughs> That's the but, key. That's yeah. the key. Yeah, right. I know. Uh, but I I think you you should resist the urge to think that you know at all what's going to happen to some degree. Like you can follow a trend. That, and and say if this trend continues, this is what this will look like. But you don't really know, and certainly you can't predict what how to change it or shape it. So I, I'm just going to ride it right. and just see. Right. Um, I'm not. I'm just not. I'm just not scared of whatever it might mean. I guess I don't know another way to put it. So uh, it. I don't know what's going to happen. I think that I think. I get the sense that it's insane that 20-year-olds are going to mega churches, but I feel like it's in a way that's a last gasp or it's the hmm. – okay, I'll put it this way. Mega churches are unbelievably effective and efficient at what they do, yep. attractionally, yep. Yep. and they know how to answer que- – like, they've preemptively thought of all the pushback that you're going to give. They've already addressed it before you cognitively even pops in your mind. It's a manipulation game to some degree like any – corporate thing they have big data big money big marketing and that always works on individuals it just always does yeah yeah i mean there'll be people that join cults forever they'll never stop (laughs) so it's proportional to somebody's uh desperation for concrete answers is how big the the mega church will be so as we mature as a society it will be sillier and sillier yeah 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 i think think that's it yeah ultimately it it, to me it just culminates an affirmation on what you guys are doing what other voices in the space are doing i mean to the point you just made i mean even thinking of the progression of big data and technology and ai and everything else that's being made available for tools for those types of organizations to take advantage of um yeah i mean personally that does terrify me a little bit i mean vice wrote an article on uh, some of the big data that they used uh, with Brexit and then how like mm-hmm. there's some interesting yeah. tie-ins and in some of the GOP politics with some of that stuff and you're just like dang that tech actually exists and so it's kind of how much more that becomes available for very independent organizations to take advantage of um, I, I think it, it creates a curveball that we don't see coming you know and I had no idea what this oh, going right, to be like exactly. there's tons of if you look at history it's just t- loaded with curveballs that you never expected how, yeah. how World War II, One started for instance was almost random and you see these mm. flashpoints in history that just are not predictable so yep. th- we'll yep. see some of those and you just can't predict them yep. that'll change things way more profoundly than slow steady progress we think we're making towards x y and z right. there'll be some curveballs that just un, un, unanticipated would be technological climate uh, sociological war i mean who knows we, there's going to be curveballs that you can't possibly expect yep yep yeah absolutely no matt 
dude, you're such a stud. Thank you so much for your time today. This has really been this has really been fun. I just think the the, the conversation points and the questions uh, are really really good. Um, and um, I feel like the future holds uh, this requirement that the people of God, you know, uh, release their grasp on the forms that got us this far. Yes. And, uh, and, and so I, I just, I, I appreciate, I appreciate a lot of what you've been saying. So, um, where can people find you? Can they find you specifically on Twitter or is it just the bad Christian Twitter feed or how do people yeah, find you? Yeah, my Twitter's Matt, Car- uh, Matt Car- Zod Carter is my Twitter handle, but yeah, find me there. But, uh, badchristian.com, you know, yeah, you can say our pod, we do a bunch of other podcasts uh, yeah. ourselves and, and host, uh, you know, release and help other podcasts that we think are helpful and cool. To, to put out so you can find a bunch of different stuff awesome. that suits your speed if you don't like our show or well, it's we're too waiting. dirty for you we're then waiting don't listen for the, to it no we're, we're waiting for the invite my friend we're um, <laughs> we're just sitting here waiting for the invite so you appreciate got it. that uh, anyway my friend thank you for your time Andy any last words uh, no I have I have no last words I was going to ask Matt if, if you had any last words but no no last words never last that's a, a question that's never I, does anybody ever answer that I'm, I'm not yeah. criticizing the question yeah. but that was, that's a terrible question isn't it like, yeah, what, what does anybody is. ever say last words <laughs> any last words it feels like you're yeah. on the spot you know yep yep okay then no last words no last words man thanks a lot appreciate your time ever heard of stoicism chances are if you have you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold indifference, all that is stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. Hey there, I'm Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks With Johnny, streaming everywhere now.